Welcome, friends, to Roundtable Radio, produced by Roundtable Writers, where artists support artists. Our multi-generational and multi-genre community is always open to new members. Go to www.roundtablewriters.org to learn more. If you enjoy our community and the projects we do, please consider donating the price of a monthly coffee by signing up on our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash roundtablewriters. Thanks for listening. From poetry and the profound to practical portraits of the writing life, from genres of the fantastic and romantic to matters of the stalwart dramatic, welcome to Roundtable Radio, a Roundtable Writer's production. Soft breeze is blowing, new green and glowing sun, warmly shining, melting the snow. Brook lets the hurry onward, they scurry down to the ocean gleaming below. Wake, oh my heart, and join in. New life is stirring, earth is reborn. For love is swelling, gay carousing, sorrow and gold must go. Welcome, friends. My name is Odin Hartshorn Halverson. I'm the co founder of Roundtable Writers, where artists support artists. Before we jump into today's episode, where I'll be talking about the concept of eye trace from cinema studies and how we can use that as writers, I have a couple of important shout-outs to make. The first is to Catherine Michalik, who signed up on our Ko-fi as a monthly subscriber. Catherine, thank you so much for your support. It means the absolute world to us, and your monthly contribution allows us to keep building our community. Secondly, our first self-promo Saturday on Twitter went swimmingly with people from all over the writing community taking this chance to share each other's work and build one another up. It was inspirational and it was fun. Whenever Roundtable Writers runs one of these self-promo events, we'll randomly pick one of the entries to further promote here on the podcast. This week, the pick was a book by Coyote J.M. Edwards entitled Coffee, Milk, and Spider Silk. Here's a little bit about the book. What should a battle-worn 11-foot-tall drider do when she's retiring from the Ember Guard and looking for a big change? Open a cafe, of course. Unfortunately, Gwen's skills are highly specialized. She can contain a magical anomaly to protect the innocent without blinking, but taking inventory and tracking profits makes her sweat bullets. It's not long before she wonders if patrolling the streets of Embervane wasn't a safer bet. But help comes in the form of the city's finest, a tireless minotaur raising two kids alone, a teenage dryad with trust issues, and Gwen's old partner in the guard who can't tell a coffee machine from a milk steamer. Is this unlikely group of friends really enough to save Gwen from certain failure? So that sounds like an instant add to my reading list. It's currently available for Kindle on Amazon. Now, before I started my career as a writer, I studied film. I spent several years enthralled by film theory and film history, and I worked in the medium both artistically with student films and professionally as an event videographer. The first full-length project that I ever wrote was actually for film as well, a surreal science fiction tale about alien angels and the afterlife. I don't get a chance to work with the medium much these days, but one of the best things about art is how one type of art always overlaps with another. There is always something to learn by switching to a different form of art or even a different style within your preferred medium. I think that artists who do the best in life are those who are willing and able to be flexible. 
while those who are too rigidly attached to a single idea won't gather the benefit of exploration and discovery. Today, my subject is eye trace, a term from film studies that can be mapped to writing prose in a really exciting way. I wrote an article about this a while back for Brave Writer, so that's what I'll share with you here. In cinematography, eye trace is a technique for directing the viewer's gaze to specific areas of the image across consecutive shots. It's about understanding how to keep the audience's gaze coherent from shot to shot, and how to subtly direct the points on which they focus, without their even realizing that it's happening. Eye trace is one of the fundamental aspects of good filmmaking, but it's also a vital component of layered text when we're writing prose. In cinematography, eye trace is vital because it keeps the viewer's eyes from darting all over the screen from cut to cut. In long, slow cuts, this might not matter as much from a technical standpoint, as the viewer will at least have time to adjust their gaze, but if multiple cuts happen in quick succession, it can become immensely jarring if eye trace isn't carefully applied. Oh, writers don't have the same problem to worry about. A reader can spend as long as they want on any sentence or paragraph and decipher things they might have missed on their own time. But it's not the reader's physical eyes that a writer needs to concentrate on. Rather, it's the reader's inner eye, their imagination. Remember the old Chekhov quote about the gun on the mantelpiece? If it shows up in Act 1, it needs to be used by Act 3. Note how a writer might direct the reader's attention toward a gun on a mantelpiece, how it might be overtly or subtly signaled as an item of importance. That's where we enter the space of eye trace. Directing the reader's inner mind to specifics of place is incredibly important when writing prose, especially in moments of high action. The best fight scenes, for instance, are written in such a way that the reader's mind fluidly follows the central action. Once the action starts, the writer doesn't want to let the reader's attention wander. A fight scene where the eye trace jumps between six different points of action will be muddled and confused, whereas a scene where the primary actor remains in focus throughout will be easier for the reader to envision. In this way, it's about not making the reader work too hard to visualize an event after it has begun. Some time might be used to set up a scene to create the space and the characters within it, but once a moment of intense action begins, the reader should not have to stop and re-visualize things, because that can interrupt the flow. I'm going to toss out a quick example to show you how this might actually work. So observe how the eye trace in this paragraph moves, and obviously it's a little bit different hearing it than reading it, but I think you'll still get the gist. James swings and cracks the policeman on the jaw, and the man falls, but already two more of the boys in blue are charging in. Overhead, the helicopter's blades echo off the skyscrapers like drums in an empty canyon. James kicks the man on the ground for good measure, but a shot from one of the approaching police brings him up short. I want you to notice how jarring it is, how much more work the reader has to do to keep up with what's occurring. The eye trace basically goes like this. We've got James, policeman, jaw, policeman falls, two more policemen running, helicopter blades, skyscrapers, canyon metaphor, James kicks something, man on the ground, shot, police, James, bouncing all over the place. Now, here is a rewrite with a concentration on more intelligent eye trace. 
Helicopter blades whirr. They fill the space between the skyscrapers like drums in a canyon. James's uppercut cracks the policeman's jaw, and the man drops to the ground. But James isn't done. He goes in for a kick, but the loud crack of a service revolver startles him. Bullets smack into the pavement as James dives for cover behind a parked car. He winces as one of the tires explodes from the impact of a round. So, now we have a flow like this. Helicopter blades, skyscrapers, canyon image metaphor to further emphasize the wide space. This creates an establishing shot for the reader. Then, James in motion. The uppercut strikes. Policeman's jaw. Policeman falls. James goes in for a kick. Now, though James is uh, back in focus as a whole, the kick is what's highlighted here, and this is a visually low event suggesting continuity with the earlier act of falling. Then the eye trace pulls back with a loud crack, but it's connected to a service revolver, which suggests more police. Bullets strike pavement, another low space, keeping in continual focus with the earlier close-to-ground perspective, and also following through from the sound of the gun. James dives for cover, still low, and the result of the bullets is seen again as a car tire, also low, explodes. Now, there's more that's happening here for sure. I've added some important beats, tightened the language, but I also rewrote it with an eye toward eye trays. Where would the reader's mind be drawn, and how? Obviously, action scenes are a great place to begin exploring how eye trace and prose functions, but they are not the only area where it matters. In cinematography, the juxtaposition of images creates specific associations for the viewer. The same is true for static words on the page. Mystery writers know this and use it to their advantage, often hiding clues to the larger mystery within a pattern of signifiers. The position of people in a room, the open window, the fact that one person stands near a piano, the fact that another is sipping a drink, the sound of a distant gunshot heard at the same time as the person with the drink drops their glass. However, the same thing is true for the characters themselves. A good writer will understand that to make their characters truly inhabit the space that the writer has created for them, they need to have the appearance of interior lives. One of the best ways to show this is through what a character notices, or does not notice. In this way, the writer is working with two different eye traces, the imagination of the reader, but also the actual experience of the point-of-view character. What a character observes about the things around them acts as a signifier of who they are. It suggests personality, it suggests temperament, urgency, physical ability, culture, social status, gender, and training. Sometimes a character's perception is specifically emphasized in some way in order to draw attention to a completely different aspect of the story. Another character, for instance. A somewhat obvious example is the difference highlighted between Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes with regards to the number of stairs in B21 Baker Street. Watson walks up and down those stairs every day and never pays them any mind, but of course Holmes knows their exact number, and he probably knows the color and location of the stains on the carpeting as well. While this example is overemphasized for an effect, it showcases the importance of what a character perceives in the creation of their identity. In Agatha Christie's Mysteries, Miss Marple is frequently overlooked by the people she's observing. Why? 
because she's a frumpy old lady and nobody pays attention to little old ladies. But more than just being a point of humor, this highlights something about who Miss Marple is, how shrewd she, as a character, is, and how generally unobservant most of the people she encounters actually are, just like in real life. In the case of some of the police officers with whom Miss Marple occasionally works, a grudging and sometimes overt respect is highlighted this way, because they, being trained to observe, end up realizing just how astute and deliberate Miss Marple really is. Likewise, the reader is not merely given a mystery, they're given a specific way of looking at the world through which they must experience the mystery. When in working with prose, a writer needs to select what is shown with some degree of care. They cannot spend ten pages describing in minute detail the furniture of a room and expect the reader to remain interested the entire time, even if it's a story about antiques. The writer needs to play with words, as a cinematographer plays with light. Splashes of vivid description are highlighted by the shadow that surrounds them. These splashes set the scene. Then it is time for the characters to enter, and through their observations, more of the space comes alive. The things that stand out, the glaring absences, the subtle and overt, all merge into a total experience of space, of time, of action, and of motivation for the reader. Through this process, the world is formed, and the reader's imagination is given the direction it needs to build the whole narrative experience from nothing more than black symbols on a white page. Now, if you're thinking, hey, this sounds like the sort of work poets do with poetry, you might not be that far off the field. In many styles of poetry, an eye trace effect is established through an economy of words, A landscape is painted for the reader or listener in such a way that several layers of imagery, emotion, meaning, and rhythm can all exist codependently to form a unique whole in the audience's mind. Now, a great example of this is actually with the poem The Beauties of Nature by Burns, which I will read to you now. Admiring nature in her wild grace, these northern scenes with weary feet I trace, o'er many a winding dale and painful steep, the abodes of covered grouse and timid sheep my savage journey, curious I pursue, till famed Bredelbane opens to my view. The meeting cliffs, each deep-sunk glen divides, the woods, wild-scattered, Clothe their ample sides, the outstretching lake embosomed among the hills, the eye with wonder and amazement fills the tay, meandering sweet in infant pride, the palace rising on his verdant side, the lawns wood fringed in nature's native taste, the hillocks dropped in nature's careless haste, the arches striding o'er the new-born stream, the village glittering in the noontide beam. Poetic otters in my bosom swell, lone wandering by the hermit's mossy cell. The sweeping theatre of hanging woods, the incessant roar of headlong tumbling floods. Here Posy might wake her heaven-taught lyre, and look through nature with creative fire. Here, to the wrongs of fate half-reconciled, misfortune's lightened steps might wander wild, and disappointment in these lonely bounds find balm to soothe her bitter, rankling wounds. Here heart-struck grief might heavenward stretch her scan, 
and injured worth. Forget and pardon, man. Well, that's it for me today. I hope you had fun exploring the crossover between film and prose with me, as well as the way that poets can make the world of their poem take shape through similar effects. I love sharing time with you, and I hope you feel the same. Don't forget to give Roundtable Writers a wee five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Every single review helps us immensely and makes us feel warm and tingly inside. You can also follow us on Twitter at the RT Writers. Again, that's at the RT Writers. And if you'd like to connect with me outside of Roundtable Writers, take a look on Twitter for me at Indubitably Odin. Again, that's Indubitably Odin. All right. Take care, friends. I'll see you next week. Roundtable Radio is brought to you with the generous support of our Kofi patrons. If you enjoy our community and the projects we do, please consider donating the price of a monthly coffee by signing up on our Kofi page at kofi.com slash roundtablewriters. Our music is Spring off the 1941 album Folk Songs of the Americas and uploaded to the Internet Archive by the Cowie Austin Foundation. Roundtable Radio is made available under the Creative Commons license BYNCSA. This license allows reusers to distribute, remix, adapt, and build upon the material in any medium or format for non-commercial purposes only, and only so long as attribution is given to the creator. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.